You're listening to the Dradcast, episode 95, with special guest Tim Faust. This episode of the Dradcast is brought to you by Pagely, the original WordPress managed host. If you're looking for the rock-solid best WordPress hosting company, look no further than Pagely.com. Get ready for the Dradcast. Your favorite nerds. Brad Williams and Dre Armada bring you high-octane conversations with new guests every week. Covering the latest news, insight on recent events, and interviews with tech titans. Pour yourself a quality cocktail. What kind of soft drink? Sit back and chill. Because the Dragcast starts now. It's that time of the week, everyone's favorite time of the week, another fresh episode of the Dradcast. I'm here with my brother from another Cuban mother, Mr. Dre Armada. What's makes, up, makes buddy? I, well, now I want a Cuban sandwich and some plantains. Good looking out, man. <laughs> it's a cafecito. Un cafecito. How you doing, bro? I am doing uh, very well. Very well, man. I got to be honest. It is officially spring here in Philly. And I'm digging it. Windows open, fresh air is coming in, airing out all the the stank from the from the winter mustiness. I don't know. There's something about like the first couple of weeks where it really feels like spring that just uh, puts you in a good mood. Man, if the house is funky, man, you need some some Febreze there. <laughs> Maybe like, funky wasn't the best word to use, but yeah. <laughs> musty. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know. Whoa. Well, I, I'll tell you, it was uh, 92 degrees here on Sunday. We had a small family gathering, and we had the, the kids running around the pool and stuff. It was crazy. It's, um, it's been in the 80s and 90s over the last week. It'll Jeez. cool down a bit over this weekend, but holy cow, man. I'm, I'm driving the Jeep around with no top on again, so uh, cruising around the streets of Menifee Topless. Good times. Oh, man, that's a, that's a show title. You know, uh, I forgot the summer never really ends where you're at, which is in the you know Inland Empire out there. Uh, pretty much always warm around you, isn't it? Well, uh, you know, in the winter, it, it'll drop down into the 40s at times and 50s. That's uh, probably about as cold as it'll get occasionally into the 30s in, in, in the evenings and at night. But uh, generally, even even pushing into spring, it's in the 70s with a with a small breeze. You get into summer, it gets nasty hot, man. This is the armpit of Southern California. It'll get up to 110, 112. Uh, easily, and um, you, you'll feel every degree, man. It's nasty. Oh, that sounds delicious. It's not San Diego where it's you know seventy-two degrees year-round with the light coast. Santiago. No, it is not. Which, That's... speaking of that, I will be there this Saturday. I'll be down in San Diego. It's about an hour and a half drive uh, to what I guess would be the fifth uh, WordCamp San Diego. Uh, get to meet John Hawkins and uh, and Ryan down there, which is cool from the team, and uh, we'll, we'll get to hang out and. Chatted up with folks, man. It's um, it's always interesting to go back to that one. Being it was it was kind of uh, my doing along yeah. with uh, Tony Perez in in 2011, 2012. That was your baby. And here it is going strong. Yeah, yeah baby's all cool. grown up. That's pretty neat to see it uh, kind of uh, you know grow from where you guys started and take off, and uh, it's mm-hmm. turned into a really, um, really solid camp. That I mean, it's just it's always a good turnout. It's always a good uh, good presentations. Um, I went one year, had an awesome time. You always hear good things about San Diego WordCamp, and that stems from what you guys started, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm going to cruise the Jeep down there uh, Saturday morning. I'm just, uh, it's supposed to be like 70, 72. I'm like, hell yeah, let's get it. Well, let's get it. Well, speaking of let's get it, I think we should get it. So let's, uh, let's get officially it. get our guest on here. Uh, we have a guy by the name of Tim Faust. Tim, man, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. We're very excited to have you. So uh, some of our viewers, most of our, well, not viewers, listeners, many of our listeners may not know you by name, but I wouldn't be surprised if they know you by uh, reputation, some of the things that you have done. So one of those things more recently has to do with Ted Cruz and the Zodiac Killer. Why don't you tell us what that is all about? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I right now live in Austin, Texas, and I've lived in Texas for I reckon most of my adult life, and uh, I can't stand Ted Cruz, and uh, in general, don't like to have him as a senator. A couple months ago, I was sitting at a wrestling practice and thought it'd be kind of fun to uh, take a joke that was floating around Twitter, uh, in which we allege that Ted Cruz is the Zodiac Killer, uh, a joke which, by the way, has never been denied uh, by anybody in the Cruz <laughs> campaign. Um, 
He's offered not a single rebuttal and turn it into a T-shirt uh, and use that T-shirt to uh, raise funds to give to a woman's health abortion charity in El Paso, Texas, because Cruz is behind a lot of uh, uh, leading anti-choice legislation. And so we made the shirt, thought I'd sell, I don't know, 20, maybe 100 as a stretch goal shirts so I could throw a hundo to the artist and a, a hundo to the uh, the West Fund, the charity I wanted to support. And uh, over the course of like three days, it blew up. We ended up selling a just over 8,000 shirts and raising $69,000 for the West Fund, which was awesome. It was a really cool crash course in, uh, one, like, how does the internet work? Like, how does a thing grow? Where does it come from? Uh, How does a meme take shape? And how does that kind of manifest? Because it was, you know, related to election 2016. Um, So watching people take this pretty unserious thing about a serious thing seriously was a cool way to kind of watch the layers of how we interpret um, you know, it, it was it was a dumb joke that was about something serious and was being used for something serious. And watching serious people figure out how to handle that was fun. Uh, and then two, like learning a lot about like how do you send eight thousand shirts uh, when you got one shot and uh, a bunch of volunteers. That was really fun. Uh, that, that was a lot. Of, I learned a whole bunch. A lot of logistics involved with that. I mean, you know, it's a it's a it's one. It's it's pretty funny just on the surface, right? Ted Cruz is Zodiac killer. I mean. It makes no sense, but it makes all the sense, I guess, and is a good way to describe it. Like, and it has spread. Like, I, 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 you know, I first heard about this. I don't even know when I first heard about this, but I had heard about it, you know. And I think a lot of people out there have heard this, and maybe they're not. They're not even sure where or when they heard it. Whether it was on the news, probably talking about it, or or online. It's been all over the internet. I mean. Is this something that you guys came up with directly? Is it something that someone else came up with and you just decided to put the shirt together? Where did it – I mean, you mentioned you were kind of joking around about it. Was it just came out of thin air? Oh, it's – so I I used to live in New York and I have a bunch of friends that still live there that are general funny people online. And it's a joke they'd been kind of bandying about for the prior couple of months. Uh, Kind of was like a late night, like, oh, here's a joke. I'm going to Photoshop Ted Cruz and a a Zodiac thing or whatever. Um, Just as one of those stupid jokes you share with a thousand people – uh, on some corner of Twitter late at night. Uh, but it was really funny to me. One, because uh, Ted Cruz is a person I have strong feelings about. And two, just the naked absurdity of it uh, <laughs> was different. Like, you can, you can, if you take the formula of the joke, like, candidate X is serial killer Y, it doesn't really <laughs> click anywhere else, right? Like, Kucinich is the Boston Strangler. Oh, that's wacky. You're so wacky. Not really funny. Um, I don't know. Alan Keyes is BTK or whatever. Nah, you know, it doesn't really stick. Ted Cruz being the Zodiac Killer is not given uh, merit because you think it's true, but it's definitely the kind of thing you think somebody else might think is true, uh, and that's the best part of it. I get a bunch of emails from folks saying, hey, man, that's not possible. He wasn't born yet, which is great. Uh, someone believing that I could believe this thing or that somebody else could believe this thing is really kind of the, the wind beneath our wings. Uh, so, yeah, uh, my friend Patrick is uh, on, on Twitter. He's Patty Mo is the person through whom I heard the joke and a couple of other folks. So I DM them saying, hey, guys, like I need a side project for like the next two weeks. Can I make a shirt and I'll give it to charity? And they're like, yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, you can't really own a meme, but if anyone does, it's them. So <laughs> we just, uh, they gave permission and I made the thing and then it, uh, got much bigger than I expected. Yeah. And I, it, you mentioned that it's one of those things that's so absurd. You could see other people believing it. And there are actual people that think it might be true. And there was an oh. art- article on Rolling Stone about that, right? Saying, that maybe that he may be the Zodiac killer. Thirty-eight percent of people, Florida voters, thought it maybe could be possible. I mean, and all he has to do is say he's not, and he's never even deigned <laughs> um, to acknowledge uh, acknowledge the controversy. Uh, you got to get in front of the narrative, Senator Cruz. Uh, this is, this is not you got to get out in front of it. I don't know if this is hilarious or scary. The fact that people actually are believing this, and it it speaks to, to the. Uh, to you know, to the the society today, where they just see a headline and it, it's immediate fact. You know what I mean? What so, I think is scarier is the potential for that percentage of people that believe it to actually vote for this guy. <laughs> yeah, these are yeah. registered voters, right? So the, that is that is the scary fact for sure. I mean, I mean, I lived in Florida uh, for a while, and there's enough scary things in Florida politics and in Florida in general. It's a terrifying state. Um, so I don't know, like Zodiac killer for president isn't the weirdest thing to come out of Florida in the past couple of years. Well, they have, you have the Florida man down there, right? So Florida man endorses Zodiac. Absolutely hilarious. If you don't know what we're talking about, just search Florida man. You'll find some really odd stories about, 
random weirdos in Florida doing random weird stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty wild. It's it's pretty funny. So you mentioned it kind of really exploded. You weren't expecting to sell, you know, you're expecting to sell a handful of shirts, ended up selling thousands. Um, yeah. I mean, at, at what point did you have that oh shit moment of, all right, this has become something that's taken on a life of its own and I need to, you know, at least get serious in terms of being able to accept this money, get these orders out the door, you know, get these t-shirts in people's hands. Oh yeah, it was uh, it was four forty seven p.m. on a Friday, uh, and I was at my credit union trying to withdraw like two hundred dollars and quarters because like I bol- I have a big jar for laundry quarters, throw them in there. Um, I'm that guy. I'm I, I am that guy at the bank. And so I, like I had like you know I was at the coin machine, wanted to get the money out, and the bank closed in thirteen minutes, and the machine broke. Um, either it was out of quarters, there was a jam or something. So these you know end of the week kind of harried, haggled bank tellers were like, oh man. Really, right now, it's the problem <laughs> to deal with. And I'm standing there, like, apologizing, and I'm sweaty because it's Texas and it's hot. Uh, and all of a sudden, my phone just begins vibrating crazy in my pocket. Um, and I get a bunch of texts, and I look at them. It's my roommate saying, hey, dude, you're on Jezebel. I'm like, oh, really? That's – all right, cool. Let's, let's deal, deal with this. And I don't have a smartphone. I was carrying a flip phone. So I'd excuse myself to go to my car to get my iPod so I could, like, look at the article. So these bank tellers are standing around as I'm getting more and more panicked as like I, all the orders begin coming in over email. We went from like uh, an order an hour to 10, hour, 10 orders in five minutes and like 100 orders and 1,000 orders. And I was like, oh, this is serious. I better go to a bar. Uh, I work out of a, I have an office in the warehouse of a bar. Um, and I sat down, got my computer, and just kind of uh, threw together some graphs and uh, watched the data come in and then just began celebrating wildly. It was pretty cool. Just sit down and crap, crack, crack open a cold one. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. You know, to be honest, I don't think I could work in a bar, whether it was a back office, anywhere near a bar, probably not the best, most productive place for me to get there, in. There'd work be about it. eight minutes. About eight <laughs> minutes. Yeah, yeah. It is It is a constant exercise in uh, uh, self-restraint yeah. and pacing yourself. Uh, it's a, I run a wrestling league, and that's where we keep our ring is in their warehouse. Um, so it's like a cool collaboration we have with them where their unused space we fill with wrestling things. And then I have a back desk there where I keep my office and all my papers and stuff. Um, it's it's not a conventional office space, but it's nice and the beer's free, so I can't complain. Cannot complain about free beer. So nope. a little, you know, we mentioned you know memes and kind of taking off, and I think it's a really interesting topic. Like you think about memes, and 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 they're really a part of, they're almost a part of pop culture and society today. And it's like this, it's like this mythical mythical thing that just. They appear from somewhere, right? And they just take on a life of their own. And I mean, most people that are on the internet for any you know amount of time are probably familiar with one meme, even if they don't know it's a meme. You know what I mean? They're familiar with some of these things. And I, I think I, the topic to me is very interesting because it is like this mythical creature of where do these things come from? How do they take off? So you you know you you kind of have experience in this in this area where a lot of people don't. You know, is this is it really come down to just luck timing something silly and funny? Is there, is there something more to it? Am I reading too much into it? But what, what is the, what is this mythical creature that is a meme and, and where do they come from? All right. Well, so I hate to take the internet too seriously, but the internet is pretty serious because we live in it all the time. Uh, here's some general meme thoughts, right? Well, you can look at a lot of memes throughout history. I don't mean like internet memes. I mean, things like Kilroy, right? Like the world war two, um, Pacific, yeah. Uh, uh, Pacific Front. Like, that was a thing that, like, one dude, I think his name was, like, James Kilroy, I think he was lieutenant or whatever, uh, scribbled on a wall somewhere that then took over. It'd be like, uh, at, at some point, the Germans began, like, it was it was a scary thing because it, symbol- it symbolized that, like, the Western Front was somewhere around. It was like a rebellious comic. Uh, things like that take off. And I, but I mean, the power for symbols to have meaning that spreads from person to person, I mean, functionally, that's what an alphabet is, right? That's what pictures are. Um, but this, these are just simple, fairly crude ones that are, I think, generated from the bottom up as opposed to from the top down. Know what I mean? Uh, it's like, how does a joke happen? How, how does a joke get passed around? Uh, you see something, you go, oh, that expresses a thing that I think is interesting or I think is funny. And I think humor is probably the right place for that. Um, and someone else takes it. and writes, like It's the same thing as like a, the really cool S you would write in an elementary school, right? Here's a thing that was passed down as an acryphical origin, and people think, oh, that's neat. I want to share that. Uh, and so we do. And at least now with the internet, we have a way to 
at least begin approaching the quantification of people liking to share things, right? You have content production, and then you have content distribution, and you have the social web, which is a way you could, in theory, measure how these things spread, though a lot of it happens offline. Um, I don't know. I think it's just it's it's become a because the rate of production and the uh, ease of transmission has accelerated a lot in the past ten years as more and more of the world goes online. These are just now things we contend with on a daily basis instead of like a thing that comes around every couple of months that you interact with and forget about as it lives kind of in, in the real world. I don't know. They're complex, but I don't think they're particularly new. Know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting way to think about it because honestly, I am always thinking in terms of internet, right, and, uh, and being connected. Um, and that's when I think of memes, that's my default thought is these are things that are passed around through the internet. Um, ultimately they break, break out of that, the larger ones and end up, you know, via whatever radio, television discussed among friends. But, um, you know, they ultimately start with that. At least that's my thought process. But now that you kind of broke that down, you're absolutely right. This is not a new phenomenon. It's just more rapid and more easily accessible than it's ever been in the history of mankind because of the the significant difference now is volume and um, and the size of, of of reach, right? Like you're not reaching the eight people that you might have known 20 years ago. Now you're reaching the the 8,000 you're connected to, and the 8,000 each one of them are connected to, and so on and so on. So, the 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 sheer amount of of stuff that that is published, data, content that is out there, and and the just the 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 broad sense of these networks and touch and reach. Uh, make makes it where it's uh, it's very different in terms of that interactive state than it was 20 years ago when you're sitting around a campfire or whatever the case may be and you know insert your analogy here uh, that that's that's the biggest i think point of it right it's been around for a long time but i associate it the same way brad it's like i live in the internet every day yeah. uh, and sometimes you take for granted that 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 volume and that reach right. and I mean, that's a it's a pretty staggering volume right like uh, i sometimes that's wonder insane. if if we even have the mental capacity to like really understand all the information that we kind of live in, right? Because uh, we do have access to way more people's opinions, and those things percolate through social networks. And there's bubble effect, which is a real thing. And uh, there's the way that, for example, like uh, newsfeed is now responsible for how you see stuff, right? Uh, that's a really sure. important algorithm that determines a whole lot of uh, how we see and what we see and how we interact with whatever slice of culture is, is, is being presented to us. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a thing that like we haven't had to think about until recently. Dude, and think about like not just how we interact there in that specific moment when you consume or you're interacting with whoever online, but how do you take it from there, right? Like then you and I have a conversation or Brad and I hop on a call or we're sitting around having a, a cold one and a stogie and we start to have that interaction. So it, it continues to spread. And I think that that's that um, – uh, that viral nature um, that has become such a coveted thing from, uh, let's say, a marketer's perspective. How do I engage this and make that? And you had that experience a bit with with the shirt, right? Like it it, it caught wind and people loved it. And it, all of a sudden you're selling thousands of these things. How, what What is it that grabs people to, to, to make that purchase or to really get involved with it and share that piece of content? That's really cool, right? Like, I mean, I hate to think as a web marketer, although that was my job for a long time, but you've got a whole sure. bunch of different – of, of nested funnels, right? And here you have a discrete action, you have a purchase action, right? Um, and I don't know, I, I got my GA set up too late in the store page to really measure a whole lot of like the actual view to uh, view to purchase ratio. And there's no way I can aggregate the total views of or Twitter shares or whatever. People talk about Twitter being the Zodiac killer, but for some reason this one had a high enough conversion and share rate that people wanted to wanted to spread it around. Um, man, uh, I I can. You know, like, all I can really turn to is kind of a, a solipsistic interpretation of why this thing spread, um, which is that people think it's funny, and also, like, it pokes on something people feel but don't have quite have a way to articulate, right? Not that Ted Cruz is a Zodiac killer, um, but, like, yeah, and, you know. But he hasn't denied it. That's right. He hasn't denied it yet. Uh, <laughs> and this isn't limited to, like, one side of the political spectrum. Um, a friend of mine is a very conservative writer uh, in Texas, and she thought the joke was funny, too. Um, but I don't know. Like, it is a different way to express discontent uh, with an election process. Um, not that this is an act of dissent. I would never uh, give myself that kind of title. 
But like, I don't know. Here's a new way. What, a this, stupid this, way. Come on, this shit show that's going on. Come on now. <laughs> oh, like it's awful, and it keeps getting awful in in in, in brand new ways, right? Uh, right. Uh, yeah. I'm hoping for like I don't know, like a, just a pillar of flame to sweep the nation and give us a fresh restart. Uh, I'd vote for it. Um, but I don't know. Like you, you kind of run out of things you can do as a citizen to say you don't like a candidate or don't like a campaign, right? Because all the words you want to say, someone else has already said. And also, like, you've got, like, a vocabulary of, like, 40 words you can apply to a given candidate. And those, those, you can only call some people bums or crooks uh, before that word begins to lose meaning through sheer force of repetition. Um, so I think when given the chance to do a thing that is fundamentally dumb uh, but satisfying on, like, a Skinner box level, uh, many people will choose to do it. And the fact that the thing went to a charity is really a big part of that, too, right? Like, one, monetizing memes or meme culture for personal profit is kind of weird and I wouldn't be comfortable doing that but like having a thing that is very clearly for a charitable purpose that is contra the candidates making fun of um, I think that was the, the thing that pushed it over right because the joke could have spread but that wouldn't have turned into shirt sales I don't think if the shirts weren't going to a cause that people cared about well right. that's the thing turn that shit storm into a legit cause that was so rad like that I mean I couldn't have it couldn't have been scripted any better it was well, well played there in you guys' part that's pretty, pretty cool man Oh, I mean, like, I, I, it's something I've worked in a lot before. I used to work in reaper rights. Uh, and, like, Texas, is, it's a hard place to uh, uh, be a woman who uh, doesn't want to be pregnant. Uh, sure. And the least I, it, it was the least I could do was, like, take this silly awesome. joke and throw it to that. You know, and it makes you, to your point of kind of being one person and having a voice, it makes you wonder what, if any, impact this, this may have had on the campaign. And i got to believe I, it's had some kind of an impact. I mean, if I made him, if I made Senator Cruz sweat a little bit, that's an impact I'm satisfied with. Um, <laughs> man, actually, there was that. Uh, so I'm, I grew up in Wisconsin, and now a bunch of teens from my old high school email me, which is crazy to me. I don't talk to teens, um, but there was that uh, teenage kid that asked his girlfriend to prom through Ted Cruz. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that. This is this is the one thing of this whole like campaign that I really laughed at. Uh, he gave, so Senator Cruz was in Wisconsin stumping um, for the primary in Wisconsin, and this this teen kid walks up from Oconomowoc, some city outside Milwaukee, and gives him a piece of paper and says, "Hey, will you read this to my girlfriend?" And it says, "Hey, can you will you please take Dave or whatever to prom? Also, I'm the Zodiac killer." Uh, so like Ted Cruz had this piece of paper in his hand and he read aloud, "Hey, please take Darren to prom or whatever." And then he pauses and turns to the kid and says, "I I can't say this part." It'll be all over the news. Um, that's a pretty cool interaction that a person can have with, with, awesome. with a politician. Like, independent of, like, the context or the direction, like, they, they both had to share a joke, acknowledge that they shared the joke, and then ignore it and move on. That's just, that's just what a weird mental conversation state to be in. That's a lot of cool, like, <laughs> You know, now that you uh, describe that, I remember seeing that on the news. I didn't remember what he wouldn't read, but I remember the news talking about that, and I think they knew what he didn't read and they were talking about. That might have been the first time I heard about it, so I do remember that there's, now. There's been a couple. Of, so this is like you would never formally allege that Senator Cruz is the serial killer who killed three some folks in the Bay Area um, unless you didn't care about you know having to deal with the consequences of that but like you can see a lot of I, I think it was on kimmel or fallon or one of those guys they all look the same um talking to uh, uh, uh ted cruz and asked him okay what's your favorite cereal and cruz goes serial killer uh and the entire audience takes a beat and then explodes into laughter like it's a thing you can joke about it's like an in joke that a lot of folks including ted cruz are willing to like talk about in in reference but never talk about explicitly he's talking about it explicitly like, you've got like this weird you've got like chomsky's idea of like uh i know if you guys ever read manufacturing consent um but the idea that uh you can discuss ideas in large media broadcasts once they're credible and they're credible once enough people who you think are credible endorse them or whatever right and here's the thing and like occasionally um uh the uh, the peasants can force an idea into that cycle of credibility um, through enough volume. That's how Occupy managed to get the idea of the 1% into the election in 2008, uh, or 2012, rather, right? Like uh, um, a whole lot of discourse changes when enough folks say an idea loud enough that it can't be ignored, um, even if, like, it doesn't necessarily acted upon or made a, a fixture of policy. But, like, enough folks had a report on Ted Cruz being the Zodiac killer um, that it is now a thing you can allude to in like a late night talk show and everybody knows the joke. Uh, that was pretty cool. I don't know. Like that was just a weird thing to watch happen. 
Well, you also have something else you're you're pretty passionate in your life right now, and that is not wrestling, but wrestling. That's right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about wrestling and what you guys are doing over there? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, I'm the general manager of Party World Wrestling, uh, which is an Austin-based wrestling party performance art group and just big theatrical event. Uh, four times a year, although five this year, we put on a started off in a backyard. We got together for someone's birthday. Decided to shout a bunch and push each other and uh, have a free keg and just see how how that worked. Forty yes. folks came. Decided to do it again. And uh, in the past year and a half, we've grown to a staff of eighty. And our last show, um, WrestleMania, uh, brought in one thousand four hundred people, uh, jammed into a warehouse while a bunch of people uh, who sh- who should not be doing sports uh, got into a ring and fell down over and over and over again for everyone's entertainment. In the ring, yeah. You, well, you had me a free keg for sure. Um, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it definitely looks like a fun time. I've been checking out some videos, checking out your site. I actually heard um, a little bit of one of the stories you got going on that is 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 very intriguing and, and definitely unique around the pasta man. Oh and, yeah, and so, maybe you can t- tell our listeners a little bit about the pasta man and and what he's out there to accomplish. Yeah. Absolutely. So let me, I guess, step back. The thing that I love about wrestling, um, particularly the 80s style wrestling, Randy Savage, Ultimate Warrior, etc., is you've got a bunch of dudes, because they're always dudes, who are really huge, who should not have microphones, who are being given microphones and told, yeah, just say whatever. Uh, and the result is bizarre, absurd, and absolute poetry. I think Randy Savage is one of the best showmen since P.T. Barnum. And we all like that. Like that's 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 an, that's a kind of aesthetic that we all really appreciated. And this the uh, the, the weight of insert, absurdity of it of about men in tiny clothes fighting each other for issues of honor. Uh, what is, you gonna do, brother? <laughs> like a grain of sand in the desert. Yeah, um, and that's great. We wanted to kind of kind of wanted to capture that, but tell the stories that we wanted to tell. Right. Um, so we wanted to focus on characters who are extremely dumb. Not that they're stupid. Like not that they themselves are dumb, uh, but find small stories that are stupid and blow them up and care about them so hard and see if we can get an audience to also buy into these tiny dumb things and also do it in a way that is like respectful of all people and way more inclusive like uh, a lot of wrestling is, is has a lot of issues with misogyny and trans misogyny and racism and bigot- other, other kinds of bigotry we want to drop all of that kind of build our own space and tell our own kinds of stories uh, and one of those the story of pasta man pasta man is a man who was made out of pasta. So far, so good. He's this big, <laughs> terrifying, invulnerable Frankenstein of noodles and sauce. Uh, he was. Cr- we have a, an Italian pizza chef, Luigi Primo, who serves the best pizzas in all, to all, all of Austin, Texas. There are no nails and no screws in any of his pizzas. And uh, back in college, he experimented with making a pasta just once, never again. Uh, and that pasta became a, a man, and that man is Pasta Man. And Pasta Man believed, he grew up watching uh, the, uh, the internet, grew up watching UFC on YouTube, and learned about right and wrong, uh, and how if you fight somebody hard enough, you are proven right and they will accept you. And decided that if he wanted to win back his father, the love of his father, he needed to get him to the wrestling ring and break his body, uh, and therefore win back with the love of the father he, he never had. So we put that in the ring, and it was great. Uh, uh, Pasta Man is uh, a perfect being. He is... Uh, he is in- He's so childlike that he can't be accused of doing things that are wrong. He's huge, dumb, and lovable. And also, he's just a, he's a violent brute who wants to destroy everything around him. Uh, he and his father reconciled. His father saw that uh, um, his pasta son was, in fact, a good wrestler and strong, and that the two of them could team up to fight all of the waiters and petty cabbers throughout Austin, Texas. And recently, they, they, they formed a tag team. Uh, at WrestleMania, they fought the Dumpster Babes a brother-sister duo who grew up in the dumpsters alongside the river in Austin, Texas, uh, for the Best Friends Forever belt, which is our tag team belt. <laughs> Whoever holds that, like, we all know that friendship uh, gives you strength. Uh, friendship is a source of strength. Uh, therefore, the people who are the best friends must be the strongest. Uh, so they who hold the belt uh, are have won the belt through feats of strength and are therefore, logically, must be the best friends. Um, so right now that's the, that's the issue of, of contention uh, across that tag team. But it's great. Like Pasta Man, it's a pretty dumb conceit uh, that we get a thousand people to care deeply about for 12 minutes. Um, and it's a lot of fun because people want to shout. You just tell them what to shout for and people will play along with it. I love it. I think it's definitely one of the more unique uh, storylines I think I've ever heard in wrestling. 
And I can already tell that I'm going to be a Pasta Man fan, that's for sure. He's, a, he's great. He's, a, he's, he's lovable and extremely strong. I'm, uh, I'm all on board. In fact, I want to go have a bunch of pizza with my best friends uh, right now. Yeah, uh, but yeah, before yeah. we do that, I think it is about time we rock and roll and push over into this week's Pressing Topics. Stand by. Pressing Topics of the Week. I've been on this uh, crazy kick uh, just watching my, my caloric intake and what I'm eating and making sure that I got all my complex carbs and all this fun stuff. Uh, uh, contrary to um, you know what people say about uh, wrestling, I think it's real, and I one day want to have an opportunity to do it as well. I actually practice jiu-jitsu about five days a week, so I'm all on the ground, but I, I got to get into actually some real, real deal wrestling. Uh, I think that'd be amazing. Man, so let's talk a little bit off away from wrestling and uh, certainly the, the awesomeness that is the, the Zodiac killer. Uh, we've <laughs> the, um, you know, we talked a little bit about memes and, and kind of some of the, um, some of the cool stuff that, that has happened. Maybe it's uh, longer lasting than we understand. I've seen some actual pictures that uh, actually show it says, Hey, the, the first social media network and it's showing a campfire with people sitting around tents. Like this, this is long lasting stuff, but um <clears throat> There was a video that went viral a few years back uh, in 2011. This is from the University of uh, California, Davis, um, where they, the, uh, these folks were, um, were not too happy with what was going on. And they had a rally going on. They were sitting down uh, and the cops came up and started spraying them with pepper spray. Well, over that time frame, over the last five years, it's been, uh, it's been said or believed that uh, UC Davis has spent – uh, somewhere in, in the ballpark of a couple hundred thousand dollars to bury the search results for this uh, this video of cops pepper spraying pro- protesters, um, you know, over the internet. Now, I'm sure this is the first time that uh, a large entity has spent uh, an exorbitant amount of money to to kind of hide uh, or try to hide um, some things that uh, that maybe are, are becoming of them. Um, what do you guys think of this whole story of, of a public uh, university, a state university? spending that type of money to hide a video like this. Well, dumb, I mean, <laughs> in a word. <laughs> it's a, I understand, like, if you are, it's like, you've got things like Reputation Defender, I guess now Reputation.com, who a couple of years ago, I think, made a so-called, or so to speak, reputation for themselves in, like, helping folks who found themselves memes uh, or like being bullied online. You've got people like Justine Sacco or whatever who did some terrible racist things while on a flight. Uh, like they wrote a lot about how do you rehabilitate your, your reputation once it's like in this weird semi-permanent thing that our Google returns. Uh, and you've got, I think uh, there's there's a writer right now who's doing a bunch of pieces, I think for the Chronicle, John Ronson, I believe is his name. He did a big piece for New York Times recently uh, about how reputations kind of live on on the internet and what that means and how that's a, a relatively new thing people have to deal with. And so I understand if you're a business, a business entity, which UC Davis is, uh, why you would want to scrub things off the internet. At the same time, it just seems so disingenuous and so cowardly. Um, and I, you know, like I can't reconcile the legitimate, I guess, business need to kind of like keep that off the front page for Google returns from like the kind of backhandedness i mean like i would rather they go like an apology to her and say hey we messed up here's what we're doing to fix this thing and like use that to replace the these search terms than to spend uh a couple fundo or a hundo fundo um, dude that's crazy right scour entirely i mean i related to like in in the security world like you know security issues happen bugs happen shit happens um, don't hide from that. Learn from it, right? I think that to me shows a more uh, genuine approach, and probably will leave your brand in better standing than trying to sl- sweep something like that under the rug. The shit's not going to go away, right? Like it's it's already there. It happened. Um, so there's ways for people to find this stuff. You know, disclose it, talk about it, learn from it, and get better. Like it, that to me would have been a more appropriate way to handle that. Now, nope. I I think what's important um, out of this whole thing is is the way that. You know, maybe some of those results and indexing and uh, even organizations can be uh, manipulated to hide some of these things, whether they're right or wrong. Um, and we're starting to see that. I mean, not starting to. It's something that we've seen all along. But, you know, some some of the um, 
the footprint and and the actual strength behind companies, for example, like like Facebook and Google and so on, able to manipulate uh, data data and and some of these results and some of their indexed content and and so on in a way that can change people's behavior or thought process or maybe interactions. Um, most re- recently, the, uh, there was an article on the in the Guardian uh, talking to that about uh, about uh, Trump. And, um, you know, how much you hate them and where kind of Facebook lies in this whole election process and how their um, their opportunity and dominance gives them the ability to and the means to come in and easily manipulate voter behavior. Um, Although they're claiming that they wouldn't do it. How how risky is this? I mean, are we really in a place where this is happening? I would argue, yes, through search results and some of these other agencies that are able to do that. Uh, But some of the big companies like Facebook and such are. How how are they manipulating things today, if at all? I mean, this well, I is mean, you, you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, Tim, about our newsfeed and how it's this the algorithms behind it and how it's kind of maybe not something people think about, but it's a part of our life, right? That's what's that's what's in front of us day to day. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're reading. Uh, that's what's potentially um, you know uh, going to alter our thoughts and, and perceptions on things. I mean, it's it's it is a little bit scary knowing that there could be some stuff going on that we don't necessarily know about. And this, it's you know, Facebook has done this before in the past. Back in uh, it was around 2012 when they were manipulating news feeds to uh, do what they called uh, to observe emotional uh, contagion and basically show more positive or more negative posts for users and see how that affected their mood. Um, without the user's knowledge, and it was kind of a big deal at the time, and it really is still should still be a big deal. But it's it's a little bit scary knowing that this stuff can happen behind the scenes, and you may not be aware of it at all. I mean, I mean, these things are already happening. Just instead of having a single agent responsible for it, you've got like a big distributed cause uh, network, right? You've got like a lot of things you see on on, on newsfeed or on Google or on Twitter or tw- Google results or, or Twitter feed are the result of targeted ads and paid placement. And like, I'm not inherently opposed to uh online ads like gotta make the wheels turn somehow but you are being shown things because of your belief propensity to want to click on them right i mean that's that's buzzfeed's business model uh, to a t right they figured out kind of the vernacular of articles people want to see and then just write that thing a thousand times and kind of kind of let that flow uh we understand that you are a person who might want to click on ads um about i don't know ufc or jujitsu or i don't know um dogs cool dogs uh, and so the content you are shown will be uh, tilted in the favor of things you might want to click on, right? People want to click a CTR. And that's fine. I mean, that, that, that makes some degree of sense. It's pretty icky, but, like, I, I can I see the logic behind it. But there's no single agent saying, okay, now we're going to, like, everybody has today's dog day. Only, only content about dogs will be on Facebook. Uh, this is one of, the, one of the few times that we see an a individual actor kind of behind the entire thing as opposed to what exists now, which is, like, the mass – distributed, I guess, uh, agent behind it of ad sponsors and people spending revenue or people spending money to place ads. Yeah, I mean, there was actually an internal poll of Facebook uh, amongst their employees asking whether they should try to help prevent President Trump in 2017. Um, So, you know, these are active conversations within the company um, on whether they should, you know, kind of push a little bit harder and, and maybe even manipulate some of these, some of the feeds for a more negative light against a particular candidate, you know, it's a it's a Facebook has I think stumbled into a huge responsibility. Uh, it has always had, but hasn't necessarily had, had to articulate yet, right? Like, what does it have to do? What are the ethics of being um, a major? Like, Facebook has spent a lot of time getting themselves to be a direct publisher, right? People, uh, I think it's Wapo, maybe it's OUSJ now publishes directly to Facebook instead of linking to Facebook. Um, they have inherited this massive set of responsibilities that before I don't think they had to grapple with. And now the Trump question uh, forces them to realize that. And hell, I don't know what the answer is. Um, I mean, how can you, like, is there, is, is there goal to always be, so to speak, objective and let the, uh, let the audience uh, determine the, the results that are shown? Or do they have an obligation to step in? And uh, they know, like, for example, like, you can make this a whole lot smaller. Uh, there was an issue, I think, a year and a half ago where, uh, people kept getting confused by articles in the Onion. So fa- Facebook experimented with uh, an option where it would say satire before an article that was known to be from a satirical news source. Uh, is that um, okay of them to do, or is, 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 can they make themselves a, a, a middleman 
and this kind of content distributor and content consumer relationship? I don't know. That's a big puzzling question. Yeah, that makes me want more pizza. That's for damn sure. (laughs) 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 You know, that... It is a interesting place. Obviously, you know. Um, I guess my my, my question was uh, obviously a little bit. Uh, uh, we we know the answer. Yes, this is happening. Uh, the, these things are happening. But wh- where where does that you know what's that gray area? Where does it stop? Do do we influence folks to kind of move away from from, from uh, Donald Trump? Uh, my my argument is that they're probably going to do that on their own for the most part. But yeah, that that is that responsibility that they're playing with now. You know, it's, it's even as much as getting some of some of the the statistics that they get from actions like allowing people to change uh, their profile picture, you know, to represent uh, a country or, um, you know, uh, what was the uh, the, the rainbow um, uh, profile picture generator that they had, right? Like the numbers that they gain from that in terms of people actually leveraging that uh, that generator and for how long they use it. I mean, that, that's, that's really valuable data uh, for them and, and probably for others uh, down the road. So, um, they they do they, they have stumbled on a gold mine in terms of that, but the responsibility that comes with that man is not even just limited to the United States. It's just a worldwide thing now that they they have to be uh, very very conscientious of. And so do we, right? Like how how is it that this mechanism this 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 uh, news feed um, is placing things to me for me now, and and how does that encourage me to make decisions or not? Um, we deal with this every day, and oftentimes most of us don't really think about it. Um, the other thing we don't think about it oftentimes is is our security, whether that that come uh, be it uh, online, uh, our account management, even down to our phones. Um, there was um, <laughs> sixty minutes uh, correspondent uh, Sharon Afonsi traveled to Berlin here recently, where she interviewed a team of hackers who were looking for vulnerabilities in mobile phone systems. Uh, so they could warn the public of risks they face. During this whole uh, report and 60 minutes uh, setup, they actually ended up hacking a congressman's phone, um, which I, I find kind of interesting with Whoops. all the uh, the discussion recently around encryption and in phones and um, and usage and and you know the whole iPhone or I'm sorry Apple versus FBI uh, this been going on with the terrorist phone and such. Now this guy, this congressman's phones gets attacked. Like, wh- when do they start putting their foot down when stuff like this starts happening on a frequent, more frequent basis to them? Do you guys see some some type of change in the spots in the kind of stance there? I would hope so. I mean, this is scary stuff, right? I mean, if it was that easy to hack uh, a phone, especially uh, you know a, a, a politician, a high profile politician, just for the sake of a story. You know that makes me it, that makes me worry a lot, right? You have an interesting push and pull there, right? Like the federal government, correctly, I think, for its own interests, uh, wants greater access to people's data so it can help find criminals or whatever. Uh, at the same time, and like you know, if you are a congressperson, if it is if the things you are asked to approve are couched in those terms, you approve it. Patriot Act, uh, some of the security bills we've seen in the past couple of years. However, when an individual politician uh, finds their own data compromised, they tend to 180 that. Uh, I know Diane Feinstein had a, had a I can't remember the specifics, but at some point she was, I think I was, a, uh, when it was revealed that uh, a foreign uh, agency was, was monitoring her data and she kind of 180 in a previous um, security stance. Uh, I think it's a, it's the kind of thing where politicians will find themselves reversing their opinions once it happens to them. Uh, not that I advocate for anybody to hack politicians' data. That's a, not, a, not a cool thing in general. But if nothing else, it's a good example of how frail and how vulnerable uh, the defenses we have between the information we put out uh, like on our phones or under iCloud or whatever and somebody who's really determined to get that are. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. But you know, people don't really think about things until they affect them in many in many cases, right? So, uh, and to be fair, this was you know semi stage of the fact that the uh, they knew they sent him a phone and and he knew it would be you know he knew it would be hacked, um, or at least knew it would potentially be hacked. So it wasn't like his actual personal cell phone here, but uh, it is still it is still concerning. And I don't know if more people need to get hacked if more you know. Uh, leaked documents or leaked cell phone records or mobile pictures need to get dumped before people start realizing that, um, that, you know, encryption and keeping things secure is absolutely 
the the direction we need to be heading, not the other way around. The other way around of keeping you know things less secure, less encryption, or no encryption, which is, I mean, just sends shivers down my spine when I hear the news talking about things like that. So, the um, yeah, it's interesting nonetheless. Well, I'd I'd like to talk a little bit about our show sponsor, uh, Pagely. For those in the WordPress space. You may know them as the most scalable WordPress hosting platform in the world. Uh, they most recently uh, added a couple security features of their own, uh, one of them being two-factor authentication across all of their Pagely customer accounts, adding an extra layer of security. If you're looking to have uh, domain name services uh, closer to your clients and, and visitors, site, uh, site visitors, you can now do so with PressDNS, where you can automatically, automatically route your users' requests to one of Pagely cache nodes nearest them. Um, if you're looking for virtual private servers, they're also offering that as a service today with Rapid Deploy VPS. Deploy a Paisley VPS in any of their nine regions instantly. Again, uh, putting you in a place where you get fast response times for all of your clients, all of your visitors. Now, if you're serious about your WordPress website and you need a serious host, go visit Paisley.com today to get started. We're going to push it back into an old school segment we used to do back in the day, the early days of DragCast, even WP Late Night. We're going to push into this week's Bar Tricks. Let me show you a bar trick. Ah, that's me working out of the bar, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Eight minutes in, he's hammered. Oh, man, it's great. Now, we... Uh, we obviously get, we we run a business, Brad, uh, that's uh, that's around uh, WordPress and it's around uh, a full lifecycle, full agency uh, that that does cradle to grave, uh, from the architecture to the design, development, even migration and sustainment services for WordPress. One of the things that we work in all the time at Web Dev Studios uh, and and our uh, kind of sister companies and, and products at Presser, uh, maintain, and even Pluginize here recently is is uh, an e-commerce. Uh, WooCommerce being, uh, you know, a platform on the web today that handles over 35% of all active carts online selling products today. That's a staggering number. But one of the things that we found, um, especially Scott Bollinger, who's who's really pushing this from the app presser side, and I'm uh, excited to see what he's what he's doing here. Is we have found that the uh, the mobile uh, focused checkout experience in most, not just WooCommerce stores, but e-commerce stores in general, sucks. It's just really cumbersome. You've got, you know, uh, all the different uh, type of mobile devices and, you know, the keyboards and everything else. You're trying to get through these um, through, through these uh, checkout processes. And what you're seeing as a store owner is a pretty large uh, level of bro- broken down conversion. So car abandonment because it just doesn't work appropriately. So something that launched today uh, at AppPressor. So if you head over to AppPressor.com is WooCommerce Smart Checkout. Um what this what this is, and, and you, you, it's a public beta right now. So what you're going to see is, is this released uh, to the masses here soon. But if you're interested in, in learning more about it, you can sign up at uh, appresser.com. Is um, it's going to give you the ability to have a really strong and clean full screen mobile experience with multi page checkout forms. Okay, it has address autocompletes, which is pretty slick. So you just come in and type the beginning of your um, of your address, and I mean it finds it all. It's pretty awesome. It's optimized for touch, so it's really smooth in terms of its transitions, all of its animations and the modals that pop up in that mobile experience. And at the end of the day, if you're on the development side or putting this out to one of your clients on their client, you know, your client sites, it's fully customizable. So you can come in and really clean this up to to make sense for their experience beyond what we're offering, uh, you know, uh, bare right in the in the stock uh, plugin. So check over uh, if you had. There's a great article on it if you head over to the blog at appresser.com, and it'll talk about some of its advantages and why it's going to help reduce uh, checkout time, uh, increase conversions, and minimize the amount of cart abandonment that you're seeing today on your mobile e-commerce experience for WooCommerce. So that's my shameless plug of the day. Shameless plug. Well, I got a really interesting one I came across earlier today. Um, there is a new way. Well, yeah, I guess it's a new way. You can watch the Titanic sink. Um, and it sounds kind of weird, but basically it, it was it was this uh, video put online to promote a, a game, but it was built using Unreal Engine 4, so it's an animation. Um, and it basically watched the Titanic sink in real time. And i got to be honest, like I, wa- I started watching it. It's like a, it's two hours and 40 minutes. It's literally real time. That's how long it took from the time. It starts with it hitting the iceberg um, until it finally goes completely under. Um, it is, it's, it's fascinating and extremely eerie at the same time. There's no people in the, it's just the boat, which I think makes it even eerier. 
um, the fact that it's completely empty. Um, although at the end there is some screaming and stuff. So I gotta be, it's, it's, it's weird. Um, but fascinating. So, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. So I'm sure if you, you know, search Titanic sync animated or whatever, you'll find it. Um, pretty wild. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it uh, caught my eye and I was, I was intrigued. I, I have seen that stream or that, uh, that video and it's incredible. And some friends and I have plans to watch the entire thing uh, in its entirety in one sitting this weekend to that's, see what happens. Uh, that's that sounds that's like crazy, a, <laughs> that's a long sitting. Just, bring up the popcorn, right? I mean, wonder how it's going to end. You know, maybe maybe, maybe they'll, they'll get out this time. You never know. Uh, you never know. What do you got for us, Tim? This time I have, I have a thing called the virtual being. This is relatively new to me. I, I thought about this like two days ago. It is a. I mean, you guys probably know like Shodan.io, which is an uh, index of all the devices on the internet that are are uh, insecure to connect to. Uh, this is a bunch of streams of web cameras that are connected to the internet, uh, like v- videos of boats and dinghies and bus stops and like people's offices. And it's a, it's not a project. It shows four videos at once, and you can hold one or it'll randomly cycle them through. And so, like right now, I'm watching what looks like a runway somewhere, um, what looks like someone's like parking garage, uh, a blank screen, and a toll booth on a highway. And it's <laughs> really cool i don't know you, it's, it, you, you get to watch a whole bunch of things from around the world that are arbitrarily chosen that you don't get to control and every now and again you see a person you get to watch a person interacting uh in a way that they don't know they're being watched and it's creepy like this is also a good like security warning like always secure your devices um but also like what a cool way to observe the world around you uh so that's my plug the virtual being it is, is a really neat. relaxing and weird thing to check out that's wild man that's pretty cool it's also less creepy than I described it. It is a uh, mostly like <laughs> like empty offices, but it's it's still cool. It makes you think, and I enjoy it. I'm going to be refreshing this the rest of the evening. You know that, right? Like that's just yeah. going to happen. <laughs> it's addictive. <laughs> that's crazy, man. Well, I, you know, Tim, it's been a hell of a show, man, and we certainly appreciate you coming on. Really need to learn uh, about some of your experiences uh, with the Ted Cruz um, uh, serial killer campaign and how that worked out. Uh, wrestling sir, certainly is something that. I need to get uh, involved in because it sounds amazing, um, especially if there's free kegs of beer. Like, totally down with that. Where can people find you? What's the best uh, way for folks to get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, so my garbage fire of a Twitter account is where I post all the things I'm working on, uh, and that's Krulge, uh, C-R-U-L-G-E. It's a nonsense word. Uh, I wanted to find the shortest word that wasn't a word that I could find that was available on Twitter, uh, and that was the script returned. Awesome. And uh, I'm I'm now watching uh, the inside of a server farm somewhere. That is just <laughs> yeah, yeah. amazing. Wow, yeah, you killed uh, the rest of the week in terms of productivity for me, but certainly appreciate you, you coming on board. Mr. Bradford, Brad and Miss Prime, Big Brad Daddy, where can people find yes, you? Yes, sir. My Twitter is WilliamsBA. Check it out. Oh, shucky ducky. And I'm at Dre Meta on Twitter for the Rad and Drad. Thanks for joining us on episode 095 with Tim Faust. We'll holla at you guys soon. Deuces. Thanks for listening. If you have content for the show, want to submit to be a guest host, or just want to listen to previous shows, visit DradCast.com. While you're there, make sure you click the iTunes subscribe link to catch us on iTunes. Don't forget to follow at DradCast on Twitter. Join Brad and Dre for a new guest host next time on another episode of the DradCast.